Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I've been, I've been getting into the World Cup. And I'm one of those people who's not... I'm actually... I am a soccer fan. I follow Mexican League soccer. I like Cruz Azul. Because when I worked in a restaurant, the one busboy liked Cruz Azul. And I made him a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And then he made me a Cruz Azul fan. And I follow England. And I like uh, the, the English League. I like uh, the Premier League. I like Tottenham. And the only reason in Tottenham is my uh, friend David Thompson went back to England. He's from England. And he said, you want me to bring your shirt back? And I said, yeah, but don't bring me man. Manchester United, because everyone likes them. Don't bring me Arsenal or Chelsea, because everyone likes them. Just give me a random shirt. So he brought me back Tottenham Hot, the Hotspurs, which I'd never heard of, and now they're my team. <laughs> but I went out to watch the World Cup, and it was really great, because you know, you know, I bitched last week about the uh, Kings fans, you know, being all bandwagon, because you know I've been a Kings fan. Well, I'm just a big hockey fan, but I'm a Flyers fan, and then the Kings, and of course half the Flyers are on the Kings but it was great to see everyone out for soccer and I swear to God I have never seen that it was I was at Gordon Beerish in Burbank it was packed and I swear to God everyone was going crazy and there's these three people with Portugal jerseys uh, Portugal jerseys down the end of the bar and everyone's giving them a hard time and I swear to God when that goal scored the whole, I mean, you, you, it was like everyone left. Like you could hear needles drop, except those three people down the end. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, our, our guest is a very uh, funny and talented actor, uh, Greg Brinkley. How you doing, Greg? Great. How are you? So now, you know, you were, we were talking, you just got back from Japan. <laughs> yes, I did. Konnichiwa. Now, now, how was that? Have you been there before? Yeah, actually, this was my ninth trip to Japan, uh, incredibly. And soccer's big over there. They had uh, World Cup stuff all over the place. Uh, but yeah, my ninth trip. I'm still a little on jet lag, but I just took a five-hour energy, so I could go four hours after we finished. Yeah, that's funny. Well, you know what's funny about the five-hour energy? Uh, I have I have a heart condition, and mm. I'm getting better now. But it was when I had it, I was misdiagnosed as mm. I, I had a, a respiratory infection. Wow. And I was drinking that five-hour energy, <laughs> thinking I can't, I couldn't get to my show. And I find out later, I'm like, man, I wish the doctor prescribed that because that stuff's not good for your heart. No, that's what I hear. So I didn't drink much, <laughs> okay. just enough to get us through the hour. Now you see, you said real quick, you lost. How'd you? You lost your phone in Japan? <laughs> I did lose my phone in Japan, and you know, I don't know if you heard about it, after Fukushima, all these people turned in, you know, money, anything they found. Japanese people are amazing in turning things back. And so I lost my phone, and uh, our friends there said, well, report it. It'll get turned back, because people turn back wallets full of money. Anyway, long story short, it came back to me at the hotel. So I had my phone until I lost it again. Well, how did they Twice. find out it was you? I mean, you reported it, and then they yeah, like... Yeah, reported it uh, to the police and to the bus company, and I don't know. Somehow it showed up, and they brought it to my hotel, and I had it. And like I say, I lost it again, so... I'm waiting for my new phone twice. Well, it's amazing how connected we get to our phones. Oh, and, I mean, I, I sit there, and you probably do the same. Plus, now you have kids, and yeah. you know, so you probably have a lot of texts and stuff like going yeah. that. But me, I'm always like, posting something from my show, or you know, mm. my girlfriend texts me or this. And it's amazing. Like we start freaking out if our phone gets down to like 10% battery. <laughs> I mean, I've gone out to watch games like during the football season, and I know like the certain bars I'll go to watch the games at mm. that get my team. And I take a charger with me, just oh, wow. and it's awful because then you're checking fantasy <laughs> football. It's just crazy. I know. Well, you should see the Japanese people on the subways. Everybody's just looking down at their phone. Nobody's talking to each other. Everybody's looking down. Uh, and I went uh, cold turkey. I got to get my phone. So later today, I had an insurance policy. I'm finally getting one back. So I'm hours away from happiness. Again. Well, yeah, that's that's good. That's good. <laughs> so uh, you're from Topeka. From Topeka, Kansas. Okay, yes. which, which now exactly where is that? Because I used to do a joke in my act about the group, <laughs> the rock group Kansas. I oh, said sure. it's only part of Kansas. Mm -hmm. They should be called Topeka. And a lot of people don't know. Because then someone said you should use Wichita. Mm -hmm. But where is Topeka uh, 
situated near? It's a northeast corner of Kansas. Actually, the most populated probably because it's only an hour from Kansas City okay. and a half hour from Lawrence where KU is. So, um, yeah, it's up there. Wichita's further south. I lived in Kansas for 23 years. I went to Wichita one day. So it really stayed up in the northeast area. So you grew up in Topeka. Mm-hmm. Now, as a kid... I mean, how'd you get in this profession? Because you know, you you're 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 not you do commercials, and you and looking at your resume, you do drama, mm-hmm. you know, you do comedy, you do yeah. the, the, of course the Del Taco. I mean, people <laughs> yeah. know, this. So, but you you have a very diverse role, uh, different roles you get cast in. Mm. When you were a kid, did you act, or how did you get into it? You know, I was. Uh, I remember in eighth grade, uh, the teacher came up to me. Junior Goodwin was his name, and he was going to put on a musical. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. And I had never done any acting, and for some reason, he thought I could play Snoopy. And so, I sure, why not? You know, and I had to sing and everything, which I'd never really done. Uh, and I remember a couple of days before the first performance, they gave me the costume as some big white baggy thing, and I was so embarrassed. I'm like, the girls are going to make fun of me. This is ridiculous. I can't do this. Right. No, no, just do it. And then we put on the shows, and the reaction was just huge. I, I was just having fun up there, and people loved it and really were genuinely reacting. And so I started getting into it and more and more. And then I got into forensics. Are you familiar with forensics? It's a speech and drama competition where you compete against other schools. That's how forensics, I think, of like those TV shows, like <laughs> forensics. Well, how do you spell for? Forensics. Well, is, is it like forensic, like F O R, like the, yeah. the the okay? I, I don't I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, anyway, it's a competition. It's like a track meet, only it's uh, speech and drama. And so I would do that. But um, so another teacher brought in this one guy to teach us how not to be nervous. And so I had never been nervous before. But basically, he was talking about something in your stomach that excretes something. Anyway, he basically taught me how to be nervous. And little by little, over the years through high school, I got to where I became really nervous. And even though I'd have the lead roles in the plays, I'd, I actually got to where I was throwing up before performances. So I totally got away from it and went to the University of Kansas. But then near the end of my stay at KU, I realized I just have to be an actor. I have to do it. I have to go out and do it. What were you majoring in? It? I got a degree in advertising. Okay. Um, and ended up doing commercials. So That's just funny. <laughs> now, it's funny what you say about the nervous thing, because I know when I, when I did stand up, you know, in the big, someone said, so at one point, you'll never be nervous. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because yeah, in the beginning you get you get really nervous, and yeah. if you don't think about it, mm. you aren't nervous. Like now, because I just joke around, my friend has a bar. I host a comedy night, mm-hmm. and no one's ever there. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm telling stories now more, uh-huh. but. I just don't care, so I don't get nervous. Right. But it's weird when people make you sit there and you think, okay, you're not going to be nervous anymore. <laughs> you get nervous. It's exactly. like if someone says, oh, it's cold and flu season, you know, you will not catch a cold if you get a flu <laughs> shot. And then people that get a flu shot, they go, oh, I caught a cold. It's yeah. just weird how the psychology Totally, works. and it worked for me, and it was awful. Uh, and so I had to get away from it. And I remember, um, we'll probably talk about it later, I was on a live show called Into the Night with Rick Dees. I uh, was briefly on the air, and I played Barney Fife. But anyway, right before I was about to go on live national television, I thought, I'm about to throw up. And I, no, I'm not going to do it. I stopped myself. And See? ever since then, I haven't had a big issue with it. <laughs> but, man, it was close. That's <laughs> the worst, though, when you think about it. Like, if you think you're going to get sick, it's like you're going to – and just the, the ridicule. And especially, I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't be as – years ago it would be bad. But now, you know, if you threw up on stage, it would be all over social media. There would be, like, memes or memes, whatever they're called. Of like, you know. I mean, just think what would happen if someone actually uh, threw up. I mean, look at the L.A. guy who, who – made that weird face during the earthquake everyone was like exactly every mem of him or mimi's dancing with girls it just it's his awful frozen face uh yeah people's uh, picture they use his face <laughs> i know uh, that would have been awful but thankfully i think i've overcome that so so you graduate and you have a degree in advertising mm-hmm. and now you've decided you want to go into acting mm-hmm. now you're in kansas which i'm sure there's not i mean i'm sure there's summer stock and there's theater but I'm sure it's not a big hotbed of acting. <laughs> not really, no. So what do you do? Do you sit there and go, 
um, okay, I have my degree, which is always good to have, and mm-hmm. you probably figure I can get a job if I have to in advertising. What, what's your next course of action? Well, you know, I, I just, I, we had a family friend that lived here. He was a writer for, uh, he wrote trailers, movie trailers. So I came out and visited him the year before, and he kind of showed me around L.A., um, but I just knew I had to do it. I, I don't know. You know, it's a little nai- nai- naivete. How do you say that? Naivety? Na- naivety? Na- I don't know. I, I, not nativity. Not exactly. I was thinking <laughs> naive. Na- 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 you, you were being naive. That was what, what it was, it. exactly. And so I just moved out here and without really any plan. And I remember my dad, like the two days before I left, said, well, how the hell are you going to make a living out there? I'm like, I, I don't know, but I'm going to, you know. And I'd always watched uh, self-help videos and read self-help books. I, I just really wanted to prove that I could be successful in something that very few people can really succeed in, you know? Right. So I just really believed I could do it, but I didn't know how. So I just loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Where, where did you move first? Van Nuys, actually. Okay. <laughs> now, it's so else. funny because, again, Van Nuys, it, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, years, this is probably, what, like, 87, 86? Yeah. Okay. Now, like, L.A. is getting a lot nicer, like, the places yeah. that were, like, Eagle Rock years ago, you wouldn't want to go to it, right. but now it's nice. Highland Park, the yeah. same way. I mean, I've lived in Burbank since I've pretty much been here. Yeah. Even Hollywood, that area near Hollywood, it's gotten nicer. Yeah. Van Nuys is getting nicer, but yeah. that's, did you did you know the area? Did you I scout no it out idea. or you just said, I can afford this? <laughs> I saw palm trees on the street and I'm like, this is this is LA, you know? <laughs> Turns out it wasn't the best area and every now and then people would be banging on my window late at night for who knows what reason. Uh, but I, yeah, I just moved here and, and then I, I, I needed a job and I was looking in the, well, wanted a uh, section in the LA Times and it said, um, "Have fun all day, make lots of money." I'm like, "Well, that sounds good," <laughs> you know. Anyway, it turns out it was uh, a job selling uh, restaurant discount cards, but you had to do it door to door in a chef's costume. So <laughs> I had to go around in the chef's hat and go door to door, and it was so humiliating that I would meet in um, in like Culver City and then have to drive all the way to Glendora. Maybe people don't know that, but that's like an hour and a half drive. And then I would go into businesses. And the reason for the chef's outfit was that, you know, people say, what are you doing? I need to kind of make them laugh. And then right. Right, what are you selling? And anyway, I did that for a week. And I'll never forget the last day I did it. I went into this little room and this guy's sitting behind the desk and there's a woman back there. And I said, excuse me, I understand you're looking for a chef here. You know, that was my joke. And he put his newspaper down. He said, get the freak out of here. I don't know if I can cuss. No, no, no F-bombs. Yeah. Because my, my college radio station plays a show now, so we can't, we, can't have <laughs> yeah. the, we can't have the Fs. So he said, get the blank out of here. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, can't you read the blanking sign? And there was a little no soliciting sign. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Get the blank out of here. Huge guy chased me out. And I don't know if you remember, what was it, um, Judge Reinhold in... Uh, oh, yeah, Fast Times Richmond High when he's wearing the, uh, the, the sailor hat when he sees the, the girl in the blonde. Yeah. Right. That was me. I'm driving down the freeway. I threw that thing out the window, and that was the last I did of that job. But that's, you know, fresh out of Kansas. I'm walking the streets in a chef's outfit. I've come a long way. So you're out here, yeah. and you want to get into the acting. Yes. Now, first of all, when did you start doing... Uh, Barney Fife, because I heard, <laughs> I read that one thing where you do a good Barney Fife, and yeah. I'm not going to ask you to do it, because people, <laughs> I know how people want to do impressions, they're like, I don't want to do them, but no, how, did, okay. how did you come into doing that? Well, you know, friends of mine in, in high school used to act like Barney Fife, they'd watch the Andy Griffith show, and well, they'd be talking like Don Knotts, <laughs> and I, you know, and I remember realizing I kind of had the lower lip for it, and well, I could go a little higher, and well, next thing right. you know, I'm acting like Barney Fife, and so I would do it kind of at high school, you know, at Halloween parties or whatever, but but later, when I needed another job, a friend of mine said that there was an ad in Variety for this restaurant called Ed DeBevix. I've heard of it. East Diner, yeah. It was a huge thing in 19, 1988. They were looking for characters 
50s characters. Or, is that what the Pulp Fiction scene's based on? Well, kind of, I think. A little yeah, bit? Okay. Because uh, Tar Tarantino used to come in there, so we think okay. it was. Um, so we would all be characters, and so when I went for the interview, I went in dressed as Barney Fife. I didn't really know how to act like him that much, but I said, I understand you're looking for a sheriff here or a security, and, and the guy kind of laughed. He goes, no, we're really looking for character types, so I ended up waiting tables as a nerd with a kick-me-hard sign on my back, you know. Um, but then later the manager said, hey, would you consider walking around the restaurant at night as if you were the security guard, Barney Fife? Sheriff, it means not waiting tables. Right. So I would do that for four hours a night, twice a week, and that's how I got my agents. I ended up getting on a late night show, Rick D's, all sorts of things from acting like a character while I waited tables. So you, you when you were walking around, you were, I guess, in, I guess a lot of big Hollywood uh, people went to this place. Yeah, yeah. So people saw you. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's different than a waiter because they probably said, "Oh, this guy's," you know, they probably thought you were like they hired you for all, you know, it's <laughs> right. like, you know. So who was your your first? How did your first agent approach you? Well, they had just seen me, and I had a few agents actually approach me, but um, you know, they just thought it was funny what I was doing, and you know, nobody was impersonating Don Knotts back in those days, I, you know, and it was a unique thing. And, uh, yeah, just people asked me, and I, I did this movie called Revenge of the Nerds 3. I had the lead role in it, and actually I used to wait tables on the director, and he had seen me there, so he fought for me even though I was an unknown. That's funny. Yeah, but um, one kind of interesting story. What I would do as I was doing Barney Five, I'd go up, you know, talking to old people. Excuse me, I need to see some identification. Or, you know, or a beautiful woman. And I went up to this woman up at the bar, and she had a low-cut dress on with nothing on underneath. I said, excuse me, ma'am, I need to see some ID. So she pulled down her blouse and revealed one of her chimichangas <laughs> to me. And she says, this is my ID, Barney. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to see two pieces of identification. <laughs> So, <laughs> that was a good one. Um, <laughs> did, did, she, did she show you both? Yeah, she showed me both. You know, it's Hollywood. It's L.A., yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It's amazing. You, know, you sit there and you sit there and there's people stuff. Like, like people do stuff in New York just because they're crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, not to get a break. Like, just you see someone sitting in the middle of the street naked, wrapped in plastic. <laughs> that's, that's New York. Yeah. But here, people will just do stuff just because they they want the attention. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I got some attention there. And that's, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Even years later, even after I was successful as an actor, people would say, weren't you the guy that used to be Barney Fife at Ed DeBevick? So That's crazy. Yeah, and everybody came in there. Anybody who was famous when we first opened, everybody came in there. So Where was it located? It was on La Cienega, Restaurant okay. Row. And uh, big parties, and we had the dirty dancing party there, and you know, pr movie premiere party. Just everybody came in, and it was it was. I'll never forget. I I, I was walking down the aisle, um, and I hear somebody say, "Well, a slender, high spirited guy like me needs a sugar pick me up in the middle of the day," which is what Barney would say, and it was Bruce Willis. Okay. It to me just to get me to come over and I <laughs> and I'm like sweating trying to talking to Bruce Willis I was so excited <laughs> so it was a great introduction for me and a great way for me to develop this character which I had never really done and over time I really got it down good so you, you were doing that job and I'm looking at your thing so then from that job you got cast into the night well, eventually, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what happened. Um, Rick Dees came in and he was going to see this guy that uh, uh, did Elvis. And he was going to do a late-night show on ABC, and he saw me, too. And so then he ended up putting me on to introduce the Elvis character, and then they kept me on the show for a year. So once a week, I'd come out and do a rap bit or, you know, some sort of security bit, and it was a lot of fun. It got me out of waiting tables, and, and it really began my career as a, you know, full-on full actor. So you're doing that, and then 
Revenge of the Nerds was your first big movie. Because I'm looking like you were in Civil Wars and you were in yeah. Quantum Leap. And, yeah. and actually, you were on Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> that's which, right. That's, that's in, me and my girlfriend were just talking about that. Because like one night I came home and she had Murder. I'm like, what are you watching? Murder. She's like, it's a great show. Yeah. And someone said, they're making a remake. I'm like, they can't make a remake of Murder, She Wrote. No, but they made awful. a remake of Ironside. <laughs> yeah. And they took a fat white guy <laughs> out of a wheelchair and put a, a hunky Blair Underwood, an African-American <laughs> ripped right. guy. And it's like, it doesn't work that like, way. Like, Everyone knows, same. you know. So you're, you're, you're working around. Now, now, the Revenge of the Nerds, that must have been pretty big because it, w- it was a big franchise. And you, you were starring three. Yeah. And now, the, but they were made for TV? Yeah, it was a made-for-television movie on Fox, and it got huge ratings, Revenge of the Nerds 3. They brought back Robert Carradine and Curtis Armstrong. You know, he played Booger, some of them. And then we were the new generation of nerds, and, um, and it really did great in the ratings. So they decided to do a fourth one. Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love. And um, that one went up against Stephen King's The Stand. I remember that. Which was the highest rated thing of all time at the time. And our movie didn't do very well, so that was the end of the nerds. So uh, nerd persecution it began again. And, and thankfully, I've never played a nerd again. But that must have <laughs> been cool just because, you know, you're you were only in this business for a little bit yeah. you know and you're in a movie already yeah. and it must have been great for you just to be on the set did you now did you start learning a lot cuz the other things look like they were tv stuff mm-hmm. your first movie set i'm sure is a lot different into the night you're in front of a live audience yeah. but did you learn a lot on the set yeah i did um, you know the process obviously is completely different but you know i was a little nervous having a lead character so early in my career but um, you know i just uh, had to myself with as much confidence and just trust uh, you know that I could do it and uh, I remember I was really nervous before my last interview for that one again back to the nervousness but I said no I'm gonna do this and uh, yeah I learned a lot and over the years I've worked in other films I'd like to work in a lot more I've worked with uh, Mel Brooks and so that, that, that would be I mean that those are one of those there's a name especially you know if you not much for the younger younger people now but if you're you know I remember as a kid watching like high anxiety and, yeah. and young Frankenstein and just and history of the world which yeah. is such a great movie but no one ever talks like everyone talks about blazing saddles but history of the world was so funny and yeah. he was so to work with him has just been amazing it was i was in a scene with him too and so i went for four interviews i think with him which movie was that it was um dracula dead and loving it okay. leslie nielsen it wasn't one of the the hugest hits but, but still also having leslie nielsen on the yeah. set it was a yeah, brilliant comedic actor yeah yeah so that was that was really really cool for me just to get to work with him and um uh, yeah, just the process of it, and actually going in and meeting this legend, uh, that was great. And uh, I eventually worked with Cloris Leachman, you know, you were talking about Young Frankenstein, oh, yeah, and God. she was telling me stories about shooting Young Frankenstein with him and how um, Gene Wilder just could not keep a straight face in this one scene with her, and she got so mad, which actually enhanced her character, made her even more angry. But yeah, Mel Brooks, what a legend, and what a thrill, to, just to have his name on my resume. I just, he probably seems, he seems like a pretty nice guy. Really nice. Just like, just a goofy, like, yeah. just like a mensch from the neighborhood, you know, just, just a fun guy. Exactly. So after the, after the movies, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, okay, now, are you, you're going up to audition for TV, now, when do you start auditioning, have you always auditioned for commercials, or... Yeah, you know, I would do quite a few commercials, uh, but uh, I didn't always get them. I was surprised. I always thought I'd do a lot of commercials, but I never really did. People, because of the Del Taco campaign, people think I did a lot, which I did for them. But, uh, yeah, I would audition quite a few things, and I would I would get some. And I'll never forget when I was 34, I was on a veil for a commercial where I had played a 16-year-old just learning how to drive. But That's some. I mean, that's just so – but you look very young, but yeah. it's just – it's like crazy. It's like you think about it. It's like – 
wait a second. That's like, I mean, I can see if you're like 23, but yeah. if you're 34 and <laughs> play 16, <laughs> I, know. I mean, that's just amazing. It was crazy. Yeah, I wish I'd gotten it, so that would really make the story. But I used, uh, you know, I think I was just too old for some of these things that I was trying out for. Uh, but, uh, you know, then eventually Del Taco came along, and uh, that really move my career forward as well. Well, what was the process after you got through the movies and you, you, you see a lot of work? Were you going out for these shows auditioning a lot? I mean, mm -hmm. were you just, I mean, was it, and were you getting frustrated at all? Because, I mean, it's like, I just said, you're in some good shows, you know, the yeah. Drew Carey show, you know, some Michael Richards show, which was never really took <laughs> off. Which, yeah, and the Hughleys and Hughleys. Yeah. But now, were you, were you, how was your closing percentage on those auditions? Well, I can't recall, actually. You know, not as great as I'd like, but not as many auditions, of course, as any actor would always say that. Um, but, you know, I was by myself. I was single for a long time, so I was just taking care of myself, so it wasn't as big of right. an issue. You know, now I, of course, have a big family and three kids and a wife, but um, so I, I wasn't as frustrated, but I tell you, there was like a 10-year period there where I went, what what happened? Not, not, not nothing much happened in my career, you know? I made a living, but I just got by. So I did a film, a short, uh, a film that a friend of mine wrote, where I played the bad guy. I was seeming like the innocent guy, but then it turned out I was the bad guy. Was it a drama? Yeah. Okay. It well, was. Now, now, had you had a lot of drama? Not a lot. Okay. Yeah, and this was an independent film, but uh, but this guy had seen me in acting class, so he saw my drama work. Which in acting class, they always said my drama work was better than my comedic okay. work, but you know the industry sees me as comedic, so that's usually what I get. Um, and so I just you know play this role he's ended up being addicted to vicodin and thinks he's elvis and ended up killing another guy anyway so i really was starting to think of myself as a dramatic actor and then i go to for this audition for del taco and then they seemingly want to use me as a goofy guy a lot so there was a little conflict in my mind about that well if, if listeners don't know because because i grew up back east del taco's not there yeah. del taco is a huge chain out here and i'm gonna tell you something about del taco a little little known fact people don't know their bacon dough, I don't eat fast food much. Their bacon <laughs> double dough, yeah. cheeseburger. Tasty. Better than an In-N-Out burger. Yeah. I always tell people it's the best, and everyone's like, <laughs> it can't be the best. It's a cheeseburger at a Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I told friends back. I mean, I don't, as yeah. I said, now I don't eat that junk food hardly <laughs> ever, but I used to tell friends, we would go out, and we'd have a few beers, and we'd go, let's get something fast, you know, fast mm -hmm. food. And I go, bacon double, and they go, what? I go, if you don't think this is excellent, I will pay for it. And I never paid for one of those wow. things because yeah. it's just, it sounds so weird. Like the, the, the Mexican place would have, the, okay. but people, Del Taco is somewhot like Taco Bell, just so you know. Yeah, but they also sell, obviously, cheeseburgers and fries, and they only make them to order. That's why it's particularly good because okay. it's fresh off. off the now, how did, now, were, did you know of Del Taco when you auditioned for that? No, actually, I didn't. And, you know, since it's been quite a few years, I got to be honest, I'll tell this story. I had not eaten a Del Taco much. Two years previous, I went once and had a chicken soft taco and got sick for like five days. <laughs> <laughs> so, but hey, it cleaned me out. You right. know, I was feeling great after that. It was that. a diet. It was only like Jared has subway. <laughs> I, I, I had the chicken del taco plan. Yeah. But anyway, no, I hadn't. And so I didn't really know what I was trying out for. Uh, but, you know, they had me do some improvisation. I was playing a guy that was behind the desk and... Um, and they said, you know, this character's Dan, and if his burrito sells, great. If not, he gets fired. And I'm like, fired? What? You know, that's I look in the camera, and I go, well, I'm on the softball team for crying out loud. So anyway, they ran that commercial for a while, and apparently it did really well. And then they ran one without me, and people said, what happened to that guy? Did he get fired? So, okay, when, so when you when you auditioned, it wasn't to become like a spokesperson. It was no, just for that one commercial. One commercial, yeah. Okay, so they you go on, and people like you. Yeah. And then they do another commercial, mm -hmm. and... People were saying, and, and you know, if people are 
emailing, especially back then because email wasn't yeah. as easy. If they're emailing phone calls, or phone yeah. calling, that means a lot because most times people don't go out of their way to right. do that. Exactly. And that was apparently the response. So they brought me back again and then again. And then I'm starting to think, oh, this looks like a spokesman. I really don't want to be a commercial guy. I want to be an actor, you know. But the great thing about these commercials was they were acting bits. They were comedy bits. And then they would sell food for 10 seconds. And then it'd be 20 seconds of comedy. And the scripts were always funny. The guys that wrote them, Glenn Miller and Mickey Taylor, they were really funny guys. And so we would shoot the script, and then we would just screw around until something funny happened. And that's kind of how the campaign just developed into this organic thing that really took off. And, you know, now looking back, I mean, people people see, like, Flo from Progressive. If they saw Flo walking down the street, they go, that's Flo, you know. That's the way it was for me as this character everywhere I went. Everywhere. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because how, how many, how many, what year was this? This was 2000 to 2006. Okay, so it was six years, which is yeah. a long. Yeah. And the thing is, Flo doesn't look a lot like her mm-hmm. in real life because oh, really? the makeup, yeah, Flo, yeah. Her, her name's Stephanie Courtney. She okay. doesn't look because they make her up. Yeah. But you look, if it's <laughs> exactly. a guy, they look exactly, <laughs> exactly. like you do. <laughs> so you're sitting there and, and people really weren't recognizing you before. Not much. And no. then people now are recognizing you, not, not as probably as an actor, but I, they, they probably actually think. Yeah. You're because a lot of people don't think like (laughs) this is a goofy guy with for (laughs) Del Taco, and they don't look at it that way. No, I mean, where did people go crazy? I mean, because I mean, you figure, but it's not national, right? No, but it was it was heavily regional, it was on non stop Los Angeles, Los Angeles, San Diego, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Sacramento. So, in this area, yeah, so like, what, what would some people like they would just start. Chanting at you, what would happen? <laughs> they would get so excited, it was crazy. And I'd go to a Dodger game, and people would line up to get their picture and autograph with me. Really, my friend would be like, "It's like you're Tom Hanks or something." You know? I know, because <laughs> they just know me, and I never thought of myself as that character, but I was nonstop on TV for that. Uh, and I remember <laughs> going to the, one of these uh, concerts in Las Vegas, and this girl was like, <gasps> Everybody's been here. The Stones, this, that, and other, but the Del Taco guy is here. <laughs> I don't know. It was just crazy, and you know. Uh, it, yeah, it was it was really unbelievable, and it was a lot of fun. It was just a great campaign, and the food was really good. I have to say, I mean, I, I joked did about. Did you eat a lot sick. of it? You, did I, you? Yeah, I would go in there, and they would give me coupons for free food, and I'd just hand that out. But I remember going in sometimes to a Del Taco, and the kid would see me, and he'd be like, <gasps> and then sweat would start coming down him. You so know, funny. he'd try to act like he didn't recognize me, but you know, so it was a fun, fun campaign. I, I'm really glad I did it because it did kind of showcase some things I could do. And I think within the Hollywood industry, people already, the casting people knew who I was, so they knew I was an actor. They knew I wasn't the Del Taco guy. That's okay, because it was. You always did a different character. And that's also... I mean, that's like the best commercials at work, you know, when the mm-hmm. character actually gets to show, like, like Carl's Jr., they're just showing boobs or yeah. someone just eating a big burger and <laughs> yeah, like right. nothing. But for yours, it was a character. Yeah. And now, did you have, did, did you do public appearances? Like, when oh, people yeah. request you, go, hey, bring him to the fair? Or yeah. what were some of the weirdest places you went? Well, um, a lot of stuff in Vegas. Um, you know, monster truck shows, I was always there. So, so what, would you, what would you do at a monster truck show? Just be like. I'd introduce it. You know, they introduced the show, and then I would sign autographs along with the drivers. But it was funny; the line for the Del Taco guy was way longer than the drivers. Yeah, did you sign your name or did you sign Dan? Dan, I'd always sign okay. Dan. Yeah, you know, I did one commercial. I don't know if you remember; it was a long time ago. But I said, "Slow cooking the beans and doing the robot." That became like a catchphrase in the area. So I'd write something like that: "Slow cooking the beans." Uh, but yeah, it was just a huge thing and it was great for Del Taco because I mean I was kind of a little character that could go around I'd be on news broadcasts you know cooking shows just anything to bring uh, awareness to the product so yeah it was it was quite a thing but for me looking back it's kind of 
really did I do that? Was that really me at this point? It must, yeah, because it's like it's such a huge popularity because everybody sees commercials, and you know, yeah. you sit there. Sometimes you watch commercials and you go, <laughs> like, I have some people I don't like. I don't like the I don't I don't like a few people in certain commercials. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like the new Wendy's girl. I yeah, think, I think she's sort of snarky. Yeah, and I like Flo. Some people don't like Flo. I like Flo. Yeah, I like Flo. I, I, too, I like yeah. Flo. And it's like, and there's certain commercials I watch. I go, oh god, I can't, you know. But it's not the most spokespersons are spokespeople are, are good. Yeah. Now, did you get any like any good hookups perks like like you know because I know like I have some actors who said they were uh, Bob Clendenden was going to Vegas and mm-hmm. someone's like oh we love Cougar Town and they bumped him up to first class. Wow. Would you ever get anything like when you were out or like did anyone send you drinks or were they sit there and did anyone buy you dinner or they. I mean, anything cool? Yeah, yeah, people do stuff like that. And, you know, girls offer themselves to me, too, which was kind of a nice thing. Uh, but, you know, I'm on an appearance. I can't be taking myself doing that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, yeah, people would give me free stuff and, and perks. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that was really interesting. I had a friend that used to do uh, commercials for Foot Joy and, and, you know, the golf shoe. He would go to Scotland to these great you know places where they have great uh, golf courses, and he'd go to huge events because his – product was associated with rich people right you know, golf but i was del taco i mean tacos were 49 cents exactly so what, well, how many perks can i get you know even the free food you know it only costs three dollars yeah. to eat there anyway so you know the perks were mostly just uh you know people you know giving me a lot of attention and compliments and you know wanting to get their picture with me and stuff now when you were doing that character were you allowed to audition for other stuff or was there was no. it like an exclusive that you yeah do? It but it's, you're yeah. probably thinking you know as any actor you know as you said, you at least got to play a character. I'm sure yeah. you got compensated well. Yeah, well. So you had yeah. to sit there and go, I can do this because it is a steady, steady yeah, job. Yeah, it's unusual. As an actor, it's really hard to make a living unless you have a contract of some sort. And then for the first year, I didn't have any. And then eventually, they just started to sign me to contracts. And then little by little, we started getting a little more leverage to where they paid me a decent amount, but certainly nothing like Flo makes. I mean, right. these national actors, I mean, they're making over a million bucks a year. You know, it's unbelievable. So it was nothing like that, but it was still good. And, uh, you know, it got me to buy my first house and all that kind of stuff. So it's very unusual for an actor to have that kind of situation. So I was really grateful. So when you ended it, did you end it or did they end it? Or was it just something that the time, it, it just had ran its course? I well, mean, six years seems a long, unless you're Ronald McDonald. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Flo will be going in a few years. I'm sure uh, yeah. Mayhem, who's great, uh, Dean Winters is great in that character. Yeah. They run a course after a while. Yeah, you know, it was six years, but the, the big thing was the company got sold. Okay. So when they sold, they brought in a new marketing department, and they decided to change it. But for a long time afterwards, there was a call for bring back Del Taco Dan. Well, know. all their commercials were just stupid. Yeah. Like, well, hey, what? Make the night. You know, it's like some <laughs> wolf driving a car. They did that for a while, and yeah, they haven't really done a high-profile uh, campaign since, but... You know, I'm grateful for it. It was a it was a fun time, but I'm also glad in a sense that it ended because then it launched me into other things. Wait, now, when know? it ended, what were your career focuses? Were you sitting there going, "I want to do commercials," or you going to say, "I don't want to be anywhere near a commercial for <laughs> a while"? Funny that you should ask that. I'm trying to think if I've even gone on an audition since then. So after you're pretty much you were pretty much once you got out of that, you said, "Okay, I'm done." I and think so. I, I may do it again. I I have nothing against commercials. It's I think a good everyone way to... I know loves it. Like they yeah. go in, they, it's good money if you get yeah. a national, and just it's a, a quick shoot. It's yeah. not like you know forever. Yeah, actually, I've probably gone on a few auditions. It's fun to see the people that have stuck it out all these years. You know, a lot of actors and, and character actors stick around, but a lot leave. You know, so when I go back and I see some of these people I haven't seen in years, it's really fun. You know. So I'm sure I'll probably end up doing it again. But at the time, I was working on My Name is Earl, uh, the NBC show. Now, was that – did you get that – you got that after? 
Uh, you know, I got it during Del Taco, actually. I had worked on Yes, Dear, which was another Greg Garcia show he created. And then he was about to do My Name is Earl, and he was doing the pilot, and they needed somebody to play Kenny. I was in the pilot. I played the very first person that Jason Lee's character. Okay, because I saw that. Because I, I yeah. mean, it's funny. I never really, I never watched the show when it was on. I don't mm-hmm. know because I was busy. But then, I would find it on reruns on like yeah. a Saturday, and it's a really, really, really funny show. It's I mean, fantastic. it's so well written, and yeah. every, I mean, Jamie Pressy's great. Yeah. Uh, um, Jason Suplice. Lee's great. Ethan Suplice. Everyone's just really good. But it's one of those things where, and I, I love it. It's sort of like the way it, the format is sort of like South Park like it's mm. crude it's raunchy but there's always a good message yeah, at the end exactly. and that's what's good it's like because you just you, you know you, you want to hate Jason Lee because he's a dirt <laughs> right. ball right but you like him and I remember yours I mean what did he, did he what did he do to you because I remember I saw it one time like you're I saw like, I didn't know that was a pilot yeah so what did he do to you well my character was gay and it turns out he 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 had picked on my character when I was a kid and so he decided to make up for it, and he gave me Patty, the daytime hooker. <laughs> she was a she was a, a beat up old hooker. And then it turns out Kenny, my character, wasn't interested, and then he finds out he's gay. So he decides to take me to a gay bar, and uh, you know that's that's what happened. But that pilot won uh, the the creator, the director, the casting director uh, Emmy for that pilot, and um, Greg Garcia created that show and so he ended up using me i did over 20 episodes so yeah, i would come back periodically yeah, so, so you got that because he knew you from yesteryear yeah he had seen me on yesteryear and he knew my del taco commercials too and so apparently they hired somebody else as kenny for the read-through and it didn't go well so then he brought me in and and was very happy with my work and and you know he said that was one of the things that helped sell the pilot so he was very grateful um, for that so when you did the pilot you didn't think it'd be recurring i, I get so many people who come on here and they say like uh, was it you know David Anthony Higgins? Yeah, sure. Like yeah. on Malcolm in the Middle, like yeah. that role wasn't supposed to be recurring. Uh-huh. So I mean, it's so funny. So I mean, it's like it's like if a, a recurring thing here. There's yeah. so many people I talk to, they go, I went in for you know one episode, and then they say, hey, want to come back? And then next thing, I'm in five episodes. It's, so you do the uh, the pilot, and you think yeah. you're done with. Yeah, it is a recurring theme for me too because the Del Taco was supposed to be a one-time right. commercial. Then, uh, then uh, my name was Earl was supposed to be one time, and then Raising Hope was supposed to be one time. So it is kind of the thing that you just kind of get in there, and if people like your work, then they keep using you, and uh, that's the way it was with Earl too. Yeah. How did he contact you? Did you did you say all of a sudden, hey, you know what? Did it contact your agency? Yeah, you want this character to come one. back. Yeah, and he actually called me. They were thinking about using me a little bit more often at one point, but uh, yeah, they just kept calling me and writing me scripts. And uh, I just saw one the other day. They, they rerun the episode, so it was on TBS where. Uh, Earl tried to make Kenny more manly, and then we both ended up getting addicted to gambling and and uh, stuff. It was it was great. Um, so they just kept using me all the way to the end, and you know that that was a good thing. But you know, unless you have a contract, you're not making much. And even though I had saved a lot during the Del Taco days, uh, savings started to dwindle right. in these years, and uh, I ended up having to get a side job for the first time after that, which was uh, scary. Which what did you do? <laughs> well, it's a little embarrassing, but a, a friend of mine, I, I noticed, uh, I was like, what, what, this guy's recognizable, what's he doing? Well, I go to a Costco, and there he is demonstrating a blender, and that's what he did, and he was making good money at it, and I'm like, and we were about to have another baby, and I'm like, oh my God, really, am I going to do this? So I took that job, man. I took it. You know what, though? That's not, it's, like, it's so funny. I've told the story in the air before. I, took, I had a job here years ago. God. 13 years ago and uh, it was only like a two month gig mm-hmm. and I dressed up like an organic piece of corn <laughs> which sounds, and I gave out soup yeah. which sounds when you think about it and it was sort of embarrassing at first uh-huh. but I was getting paid 37.50 an hour yeah. so I said you know what 
hey, you can mock me, but why don't you go back to your minimum wage job, <laughs> right. tough guy, yeah. you know, with like your four kids, you you know, whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, and it's just, it's weird. Sometimes you have to do it. I know, I, you know, it's crazy. But now I wanted to ask you, uh, how did, what Eastwood movie were in? You said you worked with Eastwood. Yeah, it was um, uh, The Changeling. Um, yeah, it was uh, really kind of a, a dark movie about, um, you know, Angelina Jolie was the main character, okay. and uh, I, I was in the I was one of the jurors jurors for this trial. The uh, her son disappeared, and it turns out uh, a, a guy was collecting kids and killing them. So it was a it was a sad movie, but working with him was such an honor. And he's notorious for not doing many takes, and even sometimes recording the uh, the um, rehearsal and shooting it and going, oh, good enough, you know. So I knew I had to be on my toes for that one. But just meeting him, and once again, like Mel Brooks, that's one more legend coming from Kansas, and here I am working with him. It's incredible. It's amazing. I saw him, uh, was it on the Tonys? Uh, yeah, it was on the Tonys. And you see him, and, you know, he's 83. Yeah. And you just go, wait a second. You know, that's not... And he's got his mind focused. And, and as you yeah. said about the changeling, and I'd, I'd seen uh, when he did Grand Torino, I saw mm. the screening of it, uh -huh. and they explained how... Like, he shoots everything in order. Yeah, like, exactly, He doesn't, yeah. like, most people shoot this. He just goes, okay. And he always comes in way before the time. Right. And it's just amazing. It's old-time filmmaking. And the guy's just, and you know he's just a badass. Like, he could just, yeah. like, pick me and you up and just throw us out <laughs> yeah. the window. You know, anybody, he just seems like he's a really cool cat. Yeah, and, you know, you could, very approachable, too. You know, craft service, you just go up and say hi to him and talk to him. You know, everybody's nervous about it, but he's so approachable. But like you said, I mean, he's organized and efficient. And I worked with the Coen brothers, too. They were the same way. Which one? That was uh, the man who wasn't there. It was Billy Bob Thornton. Was the uh, John character. Polito was in that. Yeah, yeah. John's been on the show. Oh, no kidding, yeah. He, he, said, and, and now you were, he said Billy Bob Thornton, he thinks, is like the best actor of our He's time. Great. And he said what's amazing is he, he doesn't get the the fan for that other people get. Mm -hmm. But he said, and John's worked with a lot of people. That yeah. He said he's so talented. And I don't know if you watched Fargo. Not yet. I've but heard good things about it. It's amazing. That. And Billy and, and Billy Bathurst is just he's so good. It's just has yeah. a certain thing. What was it like working with the Coen brothers? Because I heard they're very you go buy the script. It's yeah. like exactly. No improv. This is what we wrote. Do it. <laughs> Which is interesting too, because I did improv in, in this. Uh, it was interesting, I gotta tell you this audition piece real quick. When I was going in to read for them, I was I was starting to get nervous, but I'm like, no, I'm not. This is my character. You think I'm gonna, you're gonna play puke? my character. Not that time, <laughs> but I knew I needed to focus on what my character was. That's all I have to do. I'm not meeting these legends. I'm just doing my role. Well, I'm sitting in the waiting room, and there's a guy next to me who didn't have the same mindset, and who obviously was trying to build him himself, and he's sitting there going, you're a star, you're a star, you're a star, you're a star. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's got no chance. <laughs> so I went in there and read for him, and they just were embracing to me, and very. they were like two kids making a movie, even after all these years. They just enjoy it. And so then getting on the set with them, they everything's organized, the crew, they know they're going to get their job done quick. And uh, my character was a guy who just talks and talks and talks and talks. They uh, Billy Bob Thornton's... Uh, partner as a barber quits so he needs a new guy and he wants somebody that just won't talk and so apparently I didn't talk much in the meeting but as soon as I'm the barber working with him I just will not shut up so there was scripted stuff for me to say but then they said you know if you have something else just and I was telling stories that my dad used to tell and I would just talk and talk and talk and they kept some of that in the movie uh, so it's cool I, mean, I really keep hoping they'll use me again um, the um, John Wayne remake what was that um, oh um, um uh, yeah uh, I can't think uh, of God, it. God, you know, it's uh, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah, I, I, now it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> I know. Because I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't and it's either. the Western, and yeah. it was True Grit. True Grit, that's right. Well, I, they called and said, is Greg available? And they said, yeah, and then I never heard again. So I was, oh, I was so excited. But that must be awesome. I mean, you've worked with, uh, they're all heavy, heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, you think, you know, and if some people may think, oh, he's the Del Taco guy, mm -hmm. but it's like, well, no, he's worked with the Cullen <laughs> brothers. He's worked with Clint Eastwood, and he's yeah. worked with, I mean, it just must be. Now, in those movies, do you, do you enjoy foraying into the more drama side? Cause, I you would know, love to do more of that, absolutely. Yeah, I just, like I say, I don't give any opportunities for it, but I, I still believe, we'll see, that that's going to be my big hit. I, I think I'll get a, on a drama, and that's going to be showcasing. What kind of role could you see yourself playing in a drama? Well, you know, I really would love a Jimmy Stewart type of role, you know, the guy that seems weak or whatever but has an inner strength, you know, that kind of thing. So maybe in a, as a lawyer or something to that effect or a school teacher that has a big impact. I don't know. But I think somewhere that's going to happen. I hope so. See, you could have played. I'm going to tell you who you could have played. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Breaking Bad? Oh, sure, yeah. You could have played the guy, because he sort of looks like you, mm -hmm. the guy that uh, Hank, uh, Walter White's wife, was boss. Oh, right, yeah. Because you guys have a similar, similar you could have yeah. played that role, and that could have showed you you could, you could have been a jerk. Because he, <laughs> he was just like a... a, like a he was spineless, and he was just like. Then he was a jerk. Like you knew he was just yeah. like underneath. He was a scumbag. You could. Did you well, audition for that? No, I never did. But uh, you know, Brian Cranston directed an episode of Malcolm in the Middle one time, and he looked for me. He goes, "Find that Del Taco guy." And the casting director said, "Del oh, Taco Bell guy? No, 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 Del Taco." And he brought me in, and I did play a jerk on that. Uh, I played a um, uh, electronic store night manager that his character ends up working with me. And it was so different from the Del Taco guy. And I asked Brian, why did you look for me for this role? And he said, well, I figure a good actor is a good actor. I'm like, ah, oh, if only more people would think that, you know. Now, that must have been, you know, because back then that wasn't, he wasn't the Brian Cranston he is now. Right. And he's, I've heard he's just the nicest guy. He's I mean, fantastic. It's like when you see some of those old episodes of Seinfeld, he's the oh. dentist. Oh, right. He's on. And did you ever, did you, like, just working with him, did you think that he would become this, I mean, winning a Tony, I mean, he just won a Tony, you know, doing, and I started watching Breaking Bad later, and just, that acting in that, what he, the role he yeah. played, is just, he goes from a nerd, yeah. to just, like, a despicable megalomaniac, yeah. I mean, yeah. did you ever think, like, I mean, because you work with people, and did you ever, I mean, when you work with Clint Eastwood, you know, you already know, yeah, yeah. but did you ever think Cranston becomes so huge, or do you think he's really talented, but you didn't know? Well, you know, the thing I always noticed about him on Malcolm is he is fearless, and the greatest actors are fearless. Explain what he means fearless. I don't know that I'm fearless, unfortunately. H how is he fearless? He will do anything. I mean, you saw him run around in his underwear right. so often. You know, Cloris Leachman is the same way on Raising Hope. I mean, she's walking around in her bra uh, a lot. Um, but he will just do anything to make it happen. And so, I mean, who knew that he would get this opportunity? You know, he, uh, two years ago for the Emmys, he did a little thing with Jimmy Kim on Jimmy Kimmel's Emmy episode, and he called me, Brian Cranston called me again, uh, a Barney Fife thing. Him and um, his uh, sidekick there on Breaking Bad uh, were acting like Andy and Barney walking along uh, the pond, and then the Barney, uh, you know, not uh, Opie, I said Andy right. and Opie, and and I'm out there on a boat. Anyway, he called me to do that because they end up killing Barney, just like Breaking Bad okay. would have. Um, so he told me that they thought they were going to get another season of Malcolm in the Middle, and had they gotten another season, he never would have got Breaking Bad because he would have been unavailable. 
but because they suddenly got canceled and he was able to fight for that role but think somebody else would have gotten that maybe it never would have been this successful right and, and maybe he wouldn't have gotten quite the opportunities subsequently that he did so he's one of those guys that just trusts things and he, i remember reading an article about him he said your job is just to do your job and let it go be detached and once he became detached from things then he became successful and i think somehow he's turned that thing over in his mind and and because he's so talented and so nice, people want to work with him. And now that they see what he can do, man, he's got a long career ahead of him still. Now, I want to change paths here real quick. I want to talk about the Kansas City Royals. You're <laughs> talking about that, that. Now, are you a baseball fan? Yes, absolutely. Have you always been? Always and always a Royals fan. Because I, it's funny you say that because I'm a big Phillies fan. And I remember they, oh. they played each other in the World Series. Oh, man. And, and that was when they had Willie Mays Akins, which exactly. I don't know if you ever saw his documentary about his whole. Not, no, I never did. He got arrested for selling Drugs, crack. yeah. But what he sold was like, like nothing compared yeah. to whatever. And. He's out now because right. people like Cal Ripken, all these people came to his defense and wrote letters. Wow! And it was just crazy. But I remember the Royals. You had you had uh, you Will had Wilson. what's his name? You had uh, George Brett and yeah. you had Cookie Rojas. <laughs> yeah, and Freddie Pontac. Yeah, Freddie Pontac. Yeah, I remember John that team. John Mayberry. Yeah. And so oh. and John Mayberry's son now plays for the Phillies. Exactly, Amos Otis. Yeah. So you were always a baseball fan. Not only was that a baseball fan, but I always loved the name Brett. I always loved George Brett. He was my favorite. I named my son Brett after okay. George Brett. So. Um, yeah, that's definitely and and so then I end up uh, fast forward. I'm on raising hope, and long story short, I ended up getting to throw out the first pitch at a Royals game. Last how'd that year. happen? Well, um, actually, what happened was the previous year I was going back to a Royals game, and I'm like, well, let me see what the promotion is that night because maybe they're on fireworks. It turns out it's Hollywood Stars night, so I called. I'm like, you know. Maybe can I be a part of that, you know? And my, it turns out Paul Rudd was organizing it, and my my uh, brother's wife knew Paul Rudd's mom. Isn't he from, like, St. Louis? Or Kansas, Kansas City. Okay, Kansas okay. City, yeah. And so we went through the wrong channels. I should have gone to Fox Publicity, and then maybe I could have gone anywhere. But anyway, I talked to somebody from the Royals. I, I couldn't get in that game, but he showed us around the stadium. And then he said, hey, you know, if you ever want to throw out the first pitch, you know, give me a call let me know. So the next year... I called and I said, hey, the last episodes of Raising Hope are on if you want to check them out. And he go, wrote back and he goes, yeah, if you ever want to throw out the first pitch, let me know. So I said, well, we're coming this week. And so he let me throw out the first pitch. And so I'm thinking, and then George Brett is now going to be the batting coach in an interim basis for the Royals. I'm like, oh, my God, maybe I'll meet George Brett. And so they wrote back and they said, no, who do you want to throw the, the, the pitch to? And I'm like, I wrote back, can I throw it to my seven-year-old son? And they let me. And here I named my son Brett wow. after George Brett. And I'm going on the mound at Royal Stadium, where I always rooted for my team. And there I was. I threw the first pitch. And right before, again, back to the nervousness, I started getting nervous. I'm like, hey, it, people throw terrible first pitches. If I throw it in the dirt, so be it. Who cares? Did they give you a jersey? Yeah, the jersey. And they put the, your name on hat, it? Yeah. Did they give your son one? I, I bought him one, but I had him wear the helmet that I bought in the Royal Stadium like 30 years previous. Remember those great plastic? Was it? Yeah. The, they were great. Yeah. I remember. I had. I had. I remember. It was funny because I, I had the Phillies one, and then I was always mad. Like when I lived in San Diego, I was like, they only give the helmets to kids, and I'm like, I want one of those helmets, yeah. you know. And then I was at the 99 cent store out here, and they had like <laughs> they had like some like Devil Rays or uh, some team, and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna wear this instead of wearing a baseball cap. Yeah. I wear the helmet because they were great. We all had them as kids. It was cool. I always thought it was cool. My son kind of thought it wasn't as cool these days, but he wore it and he caught it. I threw a strike and he caught it. You it threw was, a good pitch. Yeah, thank God. I could just imagine though. I mean, well, it's the Royals, so they probably weren't packed. No, that particular game, although. 
You know, because they were giving out jerseys, they were free jerseys, there were a lot more people there than usual. So I think there were probably about 25,000 there. Now, did you meet George Brett? That was the one bummer. I, You know, he was back somewhere in the dugout. They went looking for him a couple of times, but no, unfortunately, I didn't. So. Now, did they give you free tickets when you do this? Yeah. yeah so you get free, good seats? Yeah, really good seats. And that was fantastic. It was just a great night. And, I mean, you know, when I threw the pitch and it was a strike and he caught it, that was one of the happiest moments of my life. See, and, that is so awesome. And and so I'm glad you threw a good pitch because, I mean, <laughs> who was it, 50 Cent? Or yeah, someone yeah who, 50 who's, Cent, yeah. Who's a ripped big guy. <laughs> right. And he threw, like, it was to the left. Oh, I mean, it was awful. And it's like you see it, and there was like – but then you see, like, like a 90-year-old guy who was in – D-Day, uh-huh. throws it pretty good. And, he, and yeah. even like Michael Wilbon, because I love pardon the interruption, yeah, 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 he just tanked it. And I'm I like, know. dude, man. With his you, shirt tucked in. can't tank. I mean, especially now, we're saying social media, it will right. be everywhere <laughs> exactly. if you tank it. It's like, you know, Carl Lewis, everyone oh, remembers my him. God. Yeah, Here's yeah. one of the best athletes, and he, you're like, oh my God. He uh, he did that and the National Anthem. You've heard him sing the National Anthem? Oh, God, yes. yes. Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't think they should. Any celebrities sing the National Anthem, <laughs> unless like, they're actually... A, they have a recording contract. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I was going to ask you after uh, after. Um, My name is Earl. Yeah. What now? Did they look seek after you for raising hope or what happened? Yeah. That's same developer, right? It's right. Like, same producer, Greg Garcia. Well, like I said, I was doing this side job and you know things were slow. And he called me and he said, "Hey, I'm doing this pilot and I have one line in it. If you're willing to do it, it's a grocery store manager, but." You know, if you're willing to do it, I think the character would recur. I'm like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. So we shot it, and sure enough, the show got picked up. And a couple episodes in, they brought me in. And so I go to the set, which is way up uh, in Chatsworth, and there's an actual grocery store set in the studio. I'm like, if they build a set, they're going to be using the grocery store. And right. I'm the manager. This looks pretty good. So they used me a few times, <clears throat> and we did. Thir- I did 13 of the 22 episodes the first season, and then they gave me a contract moving forward. Not for every episode, but I did have a contract each of those subsequent three years. And man, it uh, certainly changed my life uh, from selling blenders to you know being in a pretty good shape now. You know what's amazing about that show is also is, I, I'll be honest, I've seen it a few times. Yeah. But it was one of those shows that I feel because. It was a victim of just moving it. Like, yeah. didn't it move? Ugh. Like, and the thing is, you get. And me, I was never a big TV watcher. Yeah. My girlfriend watches TV all the time, and yeah. that's why upstairs I had to get you know another the DVR. Like, I was like, I don't have a DVR box, but she yeah. she watches this, and I don't know the DVR rules. Like, if there's two shows on, like like last night we were watching, and she always tapes a show we're watching, which makes no sense. Uh-huh. But like last night it was like she watches 24. I don't. Then we yeah. watch major crimes, and you have to watch them. And but we know when those shows are on, and even like USA and TBS or TNT are very good at it because they're ones who do 17 episodes or you know whatever 11 episodes, and uh-huh. then the show comes on like six months later again. But you, it's in the exact same time right, thing, exactly. and they start advertising it like three weeks before. It's like yeah. FX, we like the 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 bridge. Well, yeah, you yeah. know it's coming on. They're already yeah. showing things. Yeah, with raising hope. It was all over the place, and it was so stupid because Fox. Okay, you know they have their Sunday. Yeah. You know, and and Fox was like struggling, like when Fox had that crappy um, thirty-minute American Idol show mm. that would lead into Surviving Jack, which was a very funny show, yeah. but no one knew it was on. Yeah, that was unfortunately our case. We did move around a lot, and and people didn't know where to find us. And then, on uh, the very last season, we ended up on Friday nights when very few people watch anyway. So it's hard to get ratings at Friday night at 9:30 and 9 o'clock. So that was unfortunate. We still did, I think, great episodes right to the end. You know, I was just at uh, the dentist with my son a little bit ago, and the and the hygienist was saying, "Oh, we've been watching." Uh, 
uh, Raising Hope nonstop on Netflix. And I'm like, well, that's great, but, you know, we don't get any ratings for Netflix, right. you know. And uh, matter of fact, once we got canceled, the Entertainment Weekly writer did a whole feature, and he said, sorry, Raising Hope. And it was all about how he watches Raising Hope all this time, but on Netflix. So it didn't affect our ratings. So people, you know, that's what they're looking at, these ratings. And, yeah, it was unfortunate. We, we started on Tuesdays and moved different times on Tuesdays, and then we were on Thursdays at one point, and then Friday. And, you know, we're very grateful for four seasons. But, man, I would have loved to have seen what would have happened had we been in one time slot for a long time. How does it deal on your psyche that, okay, so you got you're only going to be in the one pilot, mm-hmm. but then you got that season? Yeah. And then they're going to bring you back the next season. Yeah. But it seems like Raising Hope was always one of those shows that they say, it might get canceled. And <laughs> it's not like some people say, okay, this show is getting canceled. And they yeah. just pull it. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, now that you do two bad episodes, mm-hmm. it's pulled. Yeah. Now, what is that? Especially, I mean, I think it would be very different for a single gentleman, but now you have a family. <laughs> yeah. And you need to make money. Yeah, yeah. And when they sit there and they say, you know, they all you can read it like, we don't know if they're coming back. Yeah. Do you just get like a knot in your stomach or, or, or is, are you worried or do you sit there and go, I think it's going to work out? Well, I was a little worried. Uh, you know, we, all, we thought we were in great shape after the second season and then suddenly we're on the bubble. Uh, and I was worried then because I knew I have a contract, so I'm actually going to make money. I know it. Uh, so that was concerning. But, um, you know, I've, I've learned to live below my means, so I, I wasn't completely desperate for the money, although I'm very grateful for it. But apparently after season three, we knew for sure we were getting picked up for season four because if they get to four, then we're in syndication, which we are. We're going to be in syndication, so okay. thank God for that. Um, so then I, I was pretty assured. But then this past year, we kept hoping maybe they would still give us one more season because we were at 88 episodes, hopefully 100. But, yeah, they decided uh, not to uh, bring us back another year. So it was really disappointing. But, you know, what can I say? I'm so well, grateful. Yeah, I mean, you've had a great campaign and stuff like yeah. that. Now, when it goes into syndication mm-hmm. – now you guys get residuals for all the shows? Uh, that's my understanding, but I haven't got the paychecks yet, so I really don't know what to expect. Now, did did you did you get residuals from My Name Is Earl? Yeah, okay. I still do. Yeah, and but I wasn't a regular on there, so I don't know how different it's going to be. But when I talked about doing that blender job, I thought I needed to do a side job. Turns out the Earl residuals were so you know good that I didn't need to, as it turns okay. out. But I didn't know it. And so I'm hoping that this is going to be the same with Raising Hope, but we'll see. Now, that's that's Greg Garcia. Now, he yeah. also did The Millers. He, yeah, he created The Millers, right. Now, you were on an episode of that. Right. And you were the waiter. <laughs> right. And she was, it was with Margo, was just Marco Martin going crazy because yeah. no, she was by herself, right? Yeah, you know, that was interesting because Greg called me again, and uh, and I had laryngitis. I was coaching my son's Little League baseball team, and I was yelling so much, encouragement, of course, right. <laughs> that I lost my voice. I had a cold, and I kept thinking it was going to get back. And it went on and on. For five weeks, I could barely talk. And so Greg called, and he says, you know, I got this role, you know. They were saying, what kind of character do you want, what kind of actor? And he said, well, Greg Binkley would be good, but I don't know if he'd be willing to do it. And so, of course, anytime Greg calls, I'm going to say yes because the guy's been such a blessing for me. And so, but I told him, you know, I'm talking like this. I'm not sure I can do it. So when we shot that, I still couldn't talk. But in between takes, I'd drink something and I'd right. get just enough to get the voice out. And then when it finally aired, which I'm glad you saw the episode, I was surprised. I could actually hear myself. I sounded okay, you know? Yeah, it's funny because I did see the episode once again. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like my girlfriend will watch it. And I don't, I watch Miller. It's funny, but yeah. I get distracted. I'm like, mm-hmm. if there, I'll check some scores on the computer or whatever. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where I was either I was at the desk or I was sitting and I was watching it. And I said, I, said, I have to contact you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. We have about five minutes left. Yeah. So, uh, so what else is going on? I mean, are you, uh, are you going out and auditioning a lot now? Or are you, are you, are you trying to, 
pry your agent to have you get dramatic auditions, or is that, is that a hard process because you are known as a comedy guy? Plus, for my name is Earl and Raising yeah. Hope. I mean, they're they're comedies. Yeah, right. Yeah, just uh, you know, we I just been gone for a couple of weeks to Japan, so now I'm back in town and uh, we're gonna move. Uh, I've got a lot on my plate right now, but yeah, definitely hoping to get some film work before the TV season starts again, and then hoping to build up. You know, the great thing with Del Taco, I mean, with uh, Raising Hope and My Name Is Earl, a lot of those producers have moved on to other shows, so I have quite a few people out there that know me. So I'm hoping to build up next fall so that next pilot season, you know, I can get on another show. Uh, but I did an episode of uh, Perception. It's another TNT show that yes, uh, uh, Eric, Eric McCormick, yeah. yeah, that they keep it on at the same time, like you say, <laughs> so you know when it's going to be on. And that's going to be on in a few weeks where I played a more dramatic role on that one, where I play a guy they think might be a killer, but it turns out, uh, well, you have to wait and see. But it looks like I'm one of these religious nuts that they think killed a scientist. So uh, that's going to be a good role for me. But, yeah, just uh, looking forward to seeing what's next. You know, you, you just never know. But uh, I've been very grateful for this point in my career. And, I, you know, I think good things are ahead, but you never know until they happen. So are you a Dodger fan at all? A little bit. Because they're playing the Royals right now. I know, exactly, so. yeah. So this is a big weekend uh, for us, and then we play the Angels the weekend after that. Now are you a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's funny because uh, I'm an Eagles fan, and I, I don't I, – by the, the last four years of Andy Reid, I was like, fire him. Yeah, I was yeah. like, he's got us here. I'm like – I'm gonna, it's interesting to see what he's going to do with Kansas City yeah. because you guys had the great year, but then you fell apart. And yeah. that, But for as an Eagle fan, you go, typical Andy Reid. I mean, <laughs> oh, really? He's great at doing that. He's great at getting a team together, but yeah. he just can't win the big game. Yeah. So. Well, we'll see. I mean, we got a lot of holes, and Denver's a powerhouse, so maybe not this year. Maybe the year after. So no more commercials? Would you, if someone, what, would you do a commercial? Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. Especially if a campaign came along. That would really be great. But you know that Jack Mick, uh, what's his name from uh, Jack Mick something or other? Uh, oh, Jack, uh, yeah, Jack. Jack McBrayer. Jack McBrayer. Yeah, he's doing some sort of campaign with somebody famous. Well, he's doing Barnes & Nobles. Now he's doing another one. Yeah, he did too. So maybe something like that could come along. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, And I really want to get into voiceover too, get into some cartoons. I've done some of that. So You've done cartoons? Yeah, a little bit, but nothing. Uh, you know, I did this uh, last Airbender, the Avatar um, uh, 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 cartoon so so we'll see uh, good things are happening but I, you know i'm still recovering from a great time in japan have you ever been to japan no i but i had a friend who lived there uh he taught english as a second language it's amazing and he you said it's go. great yeah i gotta say just look at your resume i gotta ask yeah. you just the pacino pacino talent agency yeah what is that because bobby deerford was a role that he played as a race car driver <laughs> yeah yeah that was a that was a online thing comedy thing that uh yeah, the, the friends of mine did. So, you know, I, I did this actor, but who's represented by two people that are acting like Pacino. Okay, so you weren't acting like Pacino. No, I wasn't. Now, do you, do you ever get calls to uh, Barney Fife anymore lately? No, I, n I never have. But, you know, I actually got to play him on a, a movie. It was a recreation of Three's Company, and I got to play Don Knotts. And would you played Furley? I, I played Furley. Oh, that's the best. It was unbelievable. So after all these years, you know, of playing him in high school and – you know, in college, then coming out and playing him on Rick D's and so forth and making appearances around the country as, as Barney Fife, I got to play Don Knotts. And then we go to the screening, and who's there but Don Knotts sitting by himself. And so my wife and I, I'm like, I'm going to go sit next to him. And I had met him before. And so we're visiting. Next thing you know, they turn the lights out, curtains open, and there I am playing Don Knotts, sitting next to Don Knotts. That is so, so cool. And now, now, were you more of a Barney Fife or a Furley fan? I was more of a Barney Fife. Okay. Uh, but it was funny, uh, at, 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 at DeBevick's, 
a lot of the kids would say, well, Furley, how come you're dressed like a cop? You oh, know? That's, isn't it weird, like the generation change? You're like, <laughs> yeah. no, he's Barney Fife. He's Barney Fife. Yeah, but, you know, the movie ended, and, and uh, he leaned over. He says, well, you did me proud. That's great, though. Now, do you tweet? You know, I don't. I need to tweet. You've got to start tweeting. My next uh, series, I've got to tweet. Yeah, because I think, you know, you, you put some stuff out, you know, yeah. you, you tweet, you make some jokes, you yeah. know, you, you're a funny guy, you well, put stuff, you got to tweet. I need to tweet. And yes. you, and I, can people get in touch with you? or well, Just uh, through Facebook, but yeah, I do need to tweet and do all those things. And gregbinkley.com is uh, my website. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so Perception's coming up. They can check me out on that. And uh, this TV show, Kirby Buckets, a new Disney show, looks like I'm going to have a recurring role on that, too. So. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. My pleasure. And so yeah, people check them out, and uh, you gotta get better web presence on the Greg because uh, the website. I didn't when I when I Wikipedia yeah. I mean, I Googled you, the site doesn't come up. Oh, well, it I should come to, right up. I need to work on it's, that. It's not your fault. It's yeah. a damn Google. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so check them out, people. Also, uh, you can go to CooperTalk.net. I have uh, about 265 episodes up. Some great ones. Uh, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Cooper Talk one word, and they will uh, pop up. And it's weird because right now I'm almost going with iTunes, but the Doug Jones episode didn't appear. And I have uh, Steve Scrobin and Bill Masters, who were Seinfeld writers, who are like my 170th episode. They're like up in the top. I don't know. It's all screwed up. So go to my website. If you have an Android phone, go to uh, the Play Store. Type in Cooper Talk. You can download the app. Also send me an email, cooper at indie100.com. Uh, Twitter, I tweet, and it's <laughs> at Cooper Talk, and I'm keeping up uh, with the Facebook, Cooper Talk fan page. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. You guys have a great weekend.